I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Today, you may have seen what the Bank of England has announced with interest rates, and I'm sure that actually fills many of you with some anxiety right? and some concern about what's going on and what does that mean for you and your families. Now, I'm here to tell you that I am totally 100% on it and it is going to be okay and we are going to get through this. And that is the most important thing I wanted to let you know today. This is the Debunking Economics Podcast with Steve Keen and Phil Dobby. So Rishi Sunak is on it. Does that make you feel any better? He's already said he's personally going to halve inflation by the end of the year. And here we are, middle of the year, and core inflation is rising. Headline inflation is staying put. And the Bank of England has had to put up interest rates by half a percent, and they are in panic mode. Will it work? Or is this just another crisis created by economists and the financial sector that we all end up paying for? And if you're not in the UK, you probably have the same issues, maybe quite not as severe. But how do we generally, wherever you are, fight inflation? That's this week on the Debunking Economics Podcast with Steve Keen. Welcome along. Well, the UK has avoided a recession so far, but is it going to last as interest rates possibly get as high as 6%? So for retail mortgages, you know, add a chunk on top of that. Uh, I know if I, you know, I've got a five-year mortgage, Steve, and I know if I had to somehow uh, refinance that now, mm. it would cost me another £1,000 a month mm. to pay my mortgage. Mm. And uh, that's post-tax, of course, as Actually, well. Yeah, it's disposable income, so you're talking about twice that much in terms of taxable income. Yeah, actually. so I would not be eating out, taking holidays. I'd be sticking to covering essentials, and others will, I'm sure, be forced to sell their house mm. because mm. of this. So it is a, a storm brewing, isn't it? And those renting their houses out, well, of course, they're already passing those costs on. So we're seeing uh, the cost of rent going up. So with the inflation numbers in the last week in the UK, economists were expecting the headline rate to fall, but they didn't. They stuck at 7.8%. Mm. What's more, the core rate increased to 7.1%, which is the highest rate since 1991. Mm. Whilst other major economies are seeing that core rate starting to fall, mm. in the UK, it's just not. It's still rising. And services inflation which is where a lot of the problem is in the UK, went from 6.9% in April to 7.4% in May. So that is rising quite sharply. Mm. So inflation in the UK now much worse than any other comparable economy. Mm. I mean, it doesn't look good, does it? No, it's not. And um, I mean, the other, I'm getting the opposite story. If you see uh, Richard Vague's little uh, video that he does now every day, he was talking about how the core rate of inflation in America has fallen below 2%. And the monthly trend has been down all the way. So uh, the UK is. Where's he getting that? That's not huh? the official number of corporate. Corp- Something of the order. No, not that he's saying that's the direction it's heading in. Too, right, yeah. Yeah, and sure. he's saying that it's been heading down for, for months. And uh, and producer prices are actually falling. Yeah. So you in the U, in the USA, you're likely to see inflation back in the range where the Federal Reserve will stop 
whacking up the interest rates, uh, whereas the UK is well and truly and smash them on the head with a higher interest rate uh, range. So has he been a success then? I mean, you could look and say, well, look, look, you know, the, the, the work of the Fed has done its job. They've, they've smashed people on the head. Uh, they've changed, adjusted their spending accordingly. Everything's, everything's well. It comes down to what's actually causing it, and and the and the the, the, the general uh, arguments about what's caused the inflation are still supply side, not demand side issues. So there's actually uh, there's a new book coming out, and I've forgotten the author's name unfortunately, but it's called Living in a Material World, uh, coming out next next month or later this month, and he makes the case about inflation just in a recent uh, tweet Twitter storm, talking about the price of cucumbers. And the point he makes is that cucumbers these days are grown in uh, greenhouses, uh, which uh, the, the Dutch actually specialise the whole technology. Mm. Um, and but they use they can. There's, there's varying in how much you rely upon it, but they can use masses of fertilizer, which are based on petroleum, and masses of energy yeah. based on petroleum. And even they deliberately increase the carbon dioxide inside the greenhouse because in that situation, if you have the plants properly set up and they're not allowed to evolve the courtesy of the carbon dioxide boost, then yes, it is more plant food. So all these things mean that if the price of oil goes up, so there's a price of cucumbers. And um, and, and the result of that is that uh, uh, cucumber manufacturing in Britain has stopped. Uh, they're just too expensive for them. So the greenhouses have shut down and now we're importing from uh, from Europe. Mm. So what you've got in, in the UK's case is suffering for the fact that it's destroyed its manufacturing sector on one side and then it it doesn't have, as it used to have, the, the, the North Sea oil, it doesn't quite have the feedstock capacity anymore as the Americans still do. Mm. So if you're, you know, you're not paying... And Brexit won't have helped with that either, will it? Brexit won't have helped because we are, you know, having to pay more or at the very least uh, there's more controls there's more paperwork yep. that, you know yep. getting stuff into the country I mean certainly supply chains into the UK as a result of Brexit have stalled and that's yeah. just made the situation worse yeah so you've got a whole range of factors I mean that what's called labour productivity which in my opinion isn't really labour productivity it's uh, it, it's how many machines you have and how many mm. how productive the machines are and how much labour you've got attached to them uh, on that side the uh, the UK is at the mercy of overseas producers and largely overseas cost, and of course it's put its overseas cost up through Brexit. But I mean, as to where we're, where, where, where we're going, if we, look at, if we were to look at two-year bond yields and say, mm. well, that's an indicator of where the market thinks mm. that interest rates are going to be in a couple of years' time. Yeah. So two-year yields are a bit over 5%, two-year bond yields in the UK, just a little bit over 5%. Mm. In the US, they're still at four point seven percent. So even though you you know talking mm. about them coming down, there's still this expectation it's going to be fairly slow in the next couple of years. In Australia, interestingly, at four point down to four point one percent. In Germany, mm. just three point one percent, which is interesting because we think of Germany mm. as also being a bit of a, a basket case because it's been uh, reliant on imports from uh, Russia for energy. And then China as a destination for its exports, and China is, is softening. And yet, uh, so you would have thought that you know their their economy is going to struggle. But, Germany, but maybe the, maybe the economy is struggling is going to help bring inflation. Well, down. Germany, Germany managed to find alternative energy sources, yeah. and uh, some of those energy energy sources are different ways of getting Russian oil delivered, Russian oil and gas. But a lot of it's also American exports of, of gas and so on. So they managed to avoid the energy crunch by finding alternative sources of energy, and we are seeing a drop in 
in oil prices mm. now, and, and so that's feeding through to lower costs in, actually in Germany. Got, I actually got an email this morning from uh, my energy supplier saying our costs are going down. Yeah, yeah. We're reducing your bill. Can you mm. imagine? I, I mean, know. From, from the you should go and sue them. That's so out of character. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I don't know. I thought it must be a, a hoax. Yeah. Exactly. I'm <laughs> I blocked the email address. I thought, who are these hoaxes? Nice try. But we have an interest rate now of 5% in the UK after the Bank of England put interest rates up half a percent last week. Uh, in the US, they are at five and a quarter percent. So they mm. got higher quicker. I mean, you could argue, if you wanted to, that interest rates have worked at slowing inflation. I mean, the UK just needs to match the US uh, because it's worked for the US. That was, well, that's the mean, argument. It, you know, it, it, it's a case of you know, coincidence or cause. And um, the, 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 the main effect cause of the inflation, when I you know, did my factoring of what's actually causing the high rate of inflation, it was a decline in what is measured as labour productivity. And again, I, I dispute that it's actually how hard workers are working. It's, it's a, a case of how long your production process takes uh, that gives you that side of things. Of course, all the blowouts with, uh, with COVID, um, the supply chain disruption that caused meant it took longer to produce. So you, you had a recorded fall in labour productivity and you had a dramatic increase. You, you had an initial increase in wages back at the beginning of the pandemic. So about 2020, 2000, you know, maybe up to 2021, there was some increase in real wages at that stage. So wages were going faster than the rate of inflation. But ever since then, it's been wages running well below the rate of inflation. What's been ri rising is the inverse of the productivity effect. So declining productivity means rising prices and rising markups. And um, the one thing that I'll relate to money creation in terms of the markups is that when you have uh, you know, the in, in massive fiscal stimulus we had to get us through COVID, Part of what that's – and also COVID itself, meaning some – you couldn't buy some things, so therefore your money would go to other other areas. When you looked at the <clears throat> the um, competitive pressure that firms felt, there was none. Okay? Mm. You, you know, stuff came off the factory production line into the warehouse and out the door into the shops and it was sold. Yeah. So the, there was more demand than you were able to meet. More than you were to do it, so let's put our markups up. Yeah. Okay? And that's the case that Isabella Webber's made. Uh, so you, you had markup-driven inflation, which you can attribute partly to the fiscal stimulus. Now, if you go the opposite direction and you say we're going to bash you over the heads, the supposed target of the – well, the real target of the interest rate rises from the point of view of the economists in central banks is wages – but the proper target should be markups. Yeah. And maybe to some extent. Because that is still certainly going on. The yeah. companies are just in, in doing their forecasts, they're just going, well, inflation's at 8%, so we'll push we'll up, up by 8%. 8%. Yeah. yeah. And, and, so we'll, and we'll push up wages by 4%. <clears throat> Uh, and uh, yeah, and all of a sudden we'll report good earnings, uh, our share, share price goes up. And guess what? Share markets have been on a rally, particularly yeah. in the United States. Yeah. So it, it, you know, there's those three factors, uh, markups by firms. I hate to say labor productivity, but uh, mm. product, the, productive, the productive productivity of the manufacturing sector and then workers' wages. And it's the first two, not the third, which has caused the inflation. Can you crush that inflation by putting up interest rates? 
Yes, you can if you then crush the demand at the other end, which is what you're talking about. And this, um, and that depends on the extent to which interest rate rises get passed on as mortgage costs immediately. Mm. And that varies from country to country. So Australia, as you know, virtually everybody has a floating rate. So every the day after, sometimes the day before, uh, the rates get put up by the Reserve Bank of Australia. Bang, you get an increase in your mortgage costs. Uh, but in the UK and certainly in America, a large proportion of mortgage is a fixed rate. So only those who are unlucky enough to have their fixed term roll over are the ones who bear the interest rate. Well, that, that would explain why, yeah, Britain's got this big lag effect because everyone's on two or five year mm. fixed terms mm. and uh, and then as they roll over, then they start to feel the hurt. Yeah. I mean, it was, I was talking to an economist to, you know, explaining the situation that I'm, you know, uh, halfway through a five year, or not even halfway through a five mm. year fixed term. Yeah. And I'm going to get slammed at the end of it if interest rates haven't come down. And he says, oh, but, you, but you'll be, you will have moderated your behaviour accordingly, he said. You know, you'll be... Oh, my I'm, God. I'm going, well, I said, maybe, can, maybe. Can you send him to therapy after the next... <laughs> I said, maybe I could actually pay a bit more towards my mortgage so I reduce the capital so that yeah, it's not quite yeah. so bad. Mm. I said, but actually, no, we're still eating out and still going out for coffees and stuff uh, because we haven't hit that situation yet. Mm. Whereas he seems to think that people... Plan ahead and would change. This, this, is, this is the nonsense that's part of neoclassical theory, which people uh, outside, you know, if I explain it to people, they say, Surely you're making it up. So I've got to then give you chapter and verse. And the classic, the, all this stuff about how inflation is set by inflationary expectations began with Milton Friedman's argument in a paper he called The Optimal Quantity of Money. And his target there was he's blamed, he blamed inflation entirely on government money creation. So he's leaving up the fact that the private sector creates money and, the, and they prefer to completely ignore that reality. So mm. they stick just with government money creation. And they and he then ended up at, at the end of it where he's saying the, the helicopters, and that's the article where helicopter money turned up, uh, rather than a single helicopter going over the top and dropping, uh, doubling the money supply with one drop. He said, instead of some imagining of helicopters flying over and dropping a 10% per annum increase in the money supply, he said, all markets will finally get back to equilibrium, that wonderful place that, you know, we all we all lost after equilibrium. God, that turns me on. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, we get to equilibrium. He says, well, if you're in equilibrium, how do you have inflation? And he said, the answer is that inflation occurs because people expect inflation. So what we have to do is reduce your expectations of inflation. So that's the beginning of the fantasy story. Then there's a guy called Robert, Robert Barrow. And, and central banks still look uh, at uh, inflationary expectations as, as yeah, one of and their they, That's forces. what they believe causes inflation. And yet those inflation expectations are entirely due to where, where interest rates are, by and large. You know, mm. it's sort of mm. like it's a... a, a yeah, secular feedback. We, 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 <clears throat> we'd be better off letting uh, the pirates of the Caribbean manage the economy than the mainstream economists, okay? Because I think their fantasies are more interesting. So but the, anyway, mm. uh, so the, the second fantasy is Robert Barrow. And the, the argument, in terms of what they think they call the Euler equation, now that's an insult to a great mathematician, okay? But that's what they call, I think, the Euler equation in their dynamic stochastic general equilibrium models, uh, argues that people's consumption depends upon the interest rate. And the reason it depends upon the interest rate is because you, and this is a crucial argument here, you are altruistic. 
Mm. Now, I know that's a strange concept for the economists to use. So, yes. So I think if interest rates are getting too high and inflation is is the, is going to get out of control, I will spend less to try and keep inflation down. Is Not quite. Thing? No, 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 no. This, that would be but, the altruistic see, thing for me the, to do. This, this all comes from the idea of what they call rational expectations. Okay. Mm. Now, rational expectations, when you look at it, is the way the neoclassicals define it, is the capacity for accurate prophecy. Okay. So if you can prophesize the future, you're rational. If you can't, you're not. So Nostradamus and Jesus and Muhammad and a few others qualify, but forget the rest of us. Nonetheless, Barrow, <laughs> when he first put this argument forward about rational expectations, uh, the argument was that if the government runs a, a, a deficit and therefore stimulates the money, putting additional money into the economy, the private sector will respond by spending less and the reason they do that is they know that if the government spends more now, then it has to tax more in the future. So you have to put aside money, being rational, you have to put aside money <coughs> uh, because of the deficit now to pay for the surplus later. So when you're going to the deficit means the government spends more on you than it taxes. So you know in future it has to do the exact reverse. So the Hang a sec. So, so, so I'm clear you're, on. you're not trying to get logic here, are you? Well, so I'm so the this is a fairy story. Well, just, well, you shouldn't it, interrupt a fairy story. story. Well, but let's bring reality into it just for a second. Oh, so, please. So if, I, so if the government is spending big and I'm running a business, I'd be saying, well, I, I would have thought I'd be saying, okay, the government's investing. There's going to be all this extra growth. There's money I can make here. I'm going to grow, grow, I'm going to ramp up my business, Look, wouldn't you? Phil, I, I keep on trying to tell you not to bring reality so, but to my, economic theory. But I theory. would be thinking, okay, exactly by economic theory. Exactly what you theory. would be doing, yeah. I mean, when you, and actually one of my old colleagues uh, since departed, uh, an Irish economist, Colm Kearney, Great, great guy. Colm got his break in economics by looking at what's called the crowding out hypothesis, which I was explaining until you brought reality into this fairy right. story. Okay. 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 But, uh, but in, we're having fun today. Um, <laughs> in, in that, uh, in, in econometric work, the prediction of the mainstream economists, what they call the crowding out hypothesis. And the argument there was that uh, when the government spends more, it, it takes away funds from the private sector. Okay. Yeah. Now, there are whole sorts of ways they argue that, but that's the basic idea. What Colm did is do the econometrics properly. It literally used to do statistically and say what's actually happening. And he found instead crowding in. When the government spent more, so did the private sector. Mm. And the basic idea is that the government's putting a road, or let's say, let's be radical and say a rail service from, I don't know, Manchester to London. Mm. Um, it's never going to happen. Not in our lifetime. It's never going to happen. But then you, as, a, as, a, as a manufacturer, you'd be saying, okay, or you know, food outlet, where can I place the food outlets along this government uh, mm. uh, transport corridor. So the, gov the print spending by the government sector encourages more spending by the private sector. And the reason you can have an expansion is the money supply is elastic. Yeah. It is not controlled by the... Not well, you get, a, you get a double increase, don't you? Because yeah, yeah, the, the government spending money, money and, and the private sector, sector borrows. Yeah. So you, yeah. get, you yeah. get government creating money by running a deficit. You get the private sector creating money by borrowing more than it pays back mm. on existing debt. So you get a double stimulus out of it. So rather than crowding in, what, what Colm, crowding out, Colm mm. found what he called crowding in. Mm. That's the real world. Now, let's go back to fantasy because that's what economists really enjoy. And their fantasy was that when the government spends more, you will spend less because you know you've got to put aside money to pay future taxation. Now, one of the replies that... Um, that Barrow got to this proposition was, well, what if you expect the increase in taxation to occur after you've died? Okay. Now, you would think at this point he'd give up, wouldn't you? Okay. <laughs> what he said is, and I'm virtually quoting, I can see the bloody paper in my head. Um, 
the, this argument fails if current generations are giving to future generations out of altruism. Now, well, he could what, be talking about you giving to your kids, though, couldn't he? Huh? He could be talking about you giving to your kids, like you know, no, I, no, kids and grandkids and great grandkids. He said, therefore, the normal shopper plans with and goes shopping with an infinite future, an infinite horizon. Okay. You plan when you go shopping, go do, do your waitrose shopping. You're, you're doing that shopping uh, with an expectation of maintaining the future generations that will come out of your loins. Okay? Many, many centuries in the future. And you plan with an infinite horizon, quote, unquote. Right. Now, okay, I prefer the Pirates of the Caribbean any day to that fantasy. But that's what lies behind the idea that putting up rates will cause you to drop your expectations of inflation and therefore cause inflation to fall. But, it, but it, what it does do, though, is change our behaviour if we get hit with for certain sections of the population. What does it take your balls off because you've suddenly got to pay a higher rate? You'd, yeah, you know, well, exactly. I mean, it's pretty drastic. And, yeah. of course, it's only a certain proportion of the population. So only 37% of the UK population has actually got a mortgage. That's thirds. a pretty large fraction. Well, it one. is a large fraction. Yeah. 35, 30, on top of that, 35% are renting. Mm. So basically it's one third, one third, one third. One third have got a mortgage, one third are renting. So two thirds of the population are going to be hit by higher interest rates, either directly or yeah. indirectly. Yeah. One third, the older proportion yeah. of the population, presumably fairly well off, own a property. And they're are benefiting out of higher rates. Yeah, exactly. They're yeah. doing really well. Yeah. So let's uh, look at that in just a second, because, I mean, that idea that this is only hitting certain sections of the community, I mean, quite large sections of the community, but the certain sections of the community, probably the ones who, who have the spending power, who are coming out of this scot-free or certainly not hurting as much of the rest of the population, because it is a blunt instrument. We'll look at that next on the Debunking Economics podcast, back in just a second. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. This is the Debunking Economics Podcast with Steve Keen and Phil Dobby. So we have the mortgagees getting hit with a sledgehammer. We have renters also getting hit with their, the same sledgehammer. And those who own lots of assets like houses and shares, all houses fully paid off with spare cash. Well, they are doing well out of this. They can carry on spending and pushing up prices. As far as they're concerned, they're going to be saying, inflation, yo, bring mm. it on. Yeah, yeah. So... The real world is a completely different place than the fantasies of mainstream economists, but mainstream economists run central banks. Mm. So we're stuck with their fantasy about inflationary expectations. The reality is that once those rates pass through to the private sector and the private sector is actually wearing them when mortgage time lags wear out, uh, it crushes the spending. And so no, you have a recession. But they'll, but they'll, yeah, but they'll say, well, okay, that's what we have to have because we've got a supply-demand imbalance. We've got to knock, you know, unless we can up and supply, again, it, we've got to knock demand down. 
what they're doing, they're fighting the last war, which was back in the in the 70s when you had a huge uh, credit-driven boom that crashed in 73, 74. You had wage rises also uh, at the same time because back in those days, have you ever heard of what's called a union? No, don't remember the union? I've got some okay, well, just, they, 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 Actually, they are sure, having it. They are. I'm not sure whether they, they died out before or after the dinosaurs. They are okay. having a bit of a research. Yeah, okay. they, so the un- mm. unions existed. So there's a mm. bit of bar- bargaining power for workers. And, of course, that was the OPEC price rise. Mm. Okay, the Yom Kippur War in 73, um, they put an embargo on the states. All prices went from $2.50 a barrel to 10 And then the next summer, from 79, they went from 10 to 40 And then they crashed back, back down again. So that was... The, the workers had bargaining power, raw material producers had bargaining power, and you had a, a boom in the private sector, a huge property boom globally, uh, plus the American government spending for the Vietnam War. Now, that's the battle they're fighting today. So whether they're, they're right to be pushing up interest rates right now, I mean, interest rates were too low, weren't they? And people didn't believe they'd ever be this high, I think, which is why yeah, we saw I mean, yeah. property prices go up. So mm. even, for example, in 2021... Mm. Uh, the value of mortgage lending in the UK shot up to £315 billion, which is 15% higher than it was just before the pandemic. Mm. So even though we've been through all of this, and there, there must have been some inkling that inflation might be a consequence of all of this extra money, mm. you know, there must have been some thought about that and how central banks would react. We were still out there spending more on houses than even mm-hmm. before the pandemic. Yeah. So, I mean, the, so interest rates had to come up at least a little bit, didn't they? Just to show. Uh, yeah, I think. Well, you've been know, living the whole a false, idea of a false zero economy. interest rates was to stop the property uh, market from crashing and stop the stock market from crashing, and that's what I said. And I got quite surprised to see banks putting up rates because they thought they were so beholden to maintaining high asset prices that they would not jeopardize the rates by putting up, uh, jeopardize those high prices by putting up interest rates. But I've neglected the extent to which they're run by a neoclassical mindset and their terror is inflation greater than 2%. Mm. And so bang, since inflation hit 5 and 6 and 7%, they whacked up the rates to try to crush that. But you know, they, I mean, If they didn't do anything, though, would it just well, keep on spiralling out well, of control? Well, it's come back down in some of the countries that haven't had... Japan, for example, inflation is back down pretty much to pre-pandemic levels now. Because, of, the energy, because of energy costs? Because largely it's a supply-side thing. Yeah. Okay. That largely what's been done with interest rates in terms of affecting demand is irrelevant until it causes a recession. Right. And it hasn't and, caused a recession right. yet. And so in the UK, it's become more of an issue because of the supply chain hasn't come back fully, yeah. in part because of Brexit. You ain't got Brexit. a supply chain. You've got a toilet chain, not a supply <laughs> chain over here. And then, and also because um, the, uh, yeah, because of the, the, the profiteering, the uh, the greedflation that we're seeing yeah. out of companies. Yeah, yeah. and that's been that now well documented at the stage where Isabella Webb has gone from being an outcast to a hero uh, in the, in this, in the um, economic profession for pointing this out, that it's markup-driven inflation, not wage-driven inflation. So you think the Bank of England should not be pushing up interest? I mean, yeah, central I, banks everywhere should not be pushing up no. I mean, if the, one up to the, a point, perhaps, just to... Uh, uh, the whole idea that you can control an economy using interest rates is a bastardization of Keynes done by John Hicks back in the 1930s, which was consistent with neoclassical theory, which is why they adopted it, not because it was realistic. So the, in, 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 in Keynes himself, Minsky as well, argued that interest rates uh, can't control um, investment expectations unless you either whack them so low that you 
push investment through the roof or you put it so high that you crush it mm. because the main thing determining people's willingness to invest is not the rate of interest, which is discounting future it's earnings, the rate of return. but what the future earnings themselves are expected to yeah. be. Yeah. Okay? So if you have expectations of profit, you'll invest despite high interest rates. If you have no expectations of profit, you won't invest despite low ones. Yeah. So twisting It's like I've got this great idea for a new phone called an iPhone. I'd really push ahead with it, but oh, just the, 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 the borrowing cost is too much at the moment. I think I'll <laughs> think I'll park that idea on the shelf. I mean, it just doesn't happen like that, does no, it? No, it doesn't. But they literally think when you go shopping at, at, at Sainsbury's or Waitrose, you're literally thinking about the taxation liabilities of your great-great-great-great-grandkids. It's nonsense. So what about the, the role of the money supply then? So the M2 mm. money supply in the UK went from $2.4 trillion, uh, up to $3.2 trillion last September. Mm. So I, th- I think that's $2.4 trillion just before the pandemic. So it's up by a third. So is that the the nub of the issue here? There's no, just it's, been it's too part, much money of, I mean, this, this is the point that the modern monetary theorists are making, uh, that the government deficit creates money and that... Um, and even interest repayments create money on new bonds. And I'm, I'm, I've got, I'm slightly querulous about their argument here because mm. because bonds pay a fixed coupon rate. Uh, it, putting up rates now doesn't change what you get paid on old bonds. It changes what you get out of new bonds. But their point is that on the new bonds, and the government's running a deficit of, in America is running a deficit well over 10% of GDP for a while, then you're putting up... Uh, issuing bonds equivalent to 10% of GDP and paying higher interest rates on it, you are stimulating the economy. Yeah. Okay. So good, yeah, I want to talk about this more next week because it is a, a curious argument that if you push up interest rates, you're actually stimulating the economy. That's yeah. a... That's a that's a hard one to get your head around, isn't it? it, it when, you look, when you look at the actual dynamics of bond uh, bond payment and creation, it is part of the argument. But the other side to it, and this is the point that I made some months back now in terms of the Silicon Valley bank crash, uh, you're also, by putting up rates, you devalue existing bonds. Now, that uh, because those existing bonds are normally held somewhere in the financial system, you potentially break the financial system mm. by putting up rates. You're stimulating it through the cash flow from interest payments, but you're debilitating yeah. it by reducing the value of their assets. Well, again, all of this next week, because I want to talk about how we once again are having to help the financial sector through mm. this crisis, which has largely been created by the financial mm. sector. But um, this week, I just want to focus on what what do we do then to try and fix the issue we're in now? We're saying, mm. well, don't put up interest rates. We just let it run its course, do we? Do we largely? Yeah. Right. Okay. And, and also, you've got to look at what's causing the supply bottlenecks, and ultimately, we're going to face energy as a major supply bottleneck. And, and given the ecological state we're in, I think inflation is going to be the default situation for the future. You simply have to live with it. And the money supply doesn't matter too much then. So I notice in the US, so the money supply went from 15 trillion to about 21 and a half trillion. So actually went up even more than in the UK. Mm. So a bigger increase, but it's been sliding since early 2022. Whereas in the UK, we haven't had that because we've had more calls on money. So So there was government borrowing to bail out energy costs, for mm. example. So the government kept on spending, the money supply kept on increasing, mm. uh, whereas the US has been less of that, so it's starting to trail down, and they are seeing their inflation come down as well. So, mm. you know, it's not cause and effect. It could just be coincidence, but in one place, the money supply is increasing, inflation is still going. The mm. other one, money supply is coming down, inflation starting to ease. 
Oh, I think it's, it's, it is part I'd say it's more than 50% coincidence because most of it comes down to supply chain issues. Mm. And as bad as the American manufacturing sector is compared to what it was 40 years ago because of globalisation, uh, it's still a damn sight bit healthier than the UK's. Right. So on the mortgage costs, meeting those mortgage costs, which is a, a situation that's been created by the central banks. I was listening to a, a, a podcast with Warren Mosler oh, yeah. uh, about the contribution of the finance sector to, to mankind, to the good of mankind. It basically, he said, it's, you know, it's like people digging up holes and filling them in again. You know, complete waste of time, a lot of it, but it keeps mm. people employed, I guess. But on, uh, on, on mortgages, uh, he said central banks should be issuing mortgages, not commercial banks, because then they'd have... Uh, control over the over the rates, so we wouldn't have this instability if central banks were issuing mortgages directly. But well, then these are the same central banks, of course, no, well, then, that, that are trying that would, to lift interest be, rates be, to push up the cost of mortgages. That would be better because what causes rising house prices is rising mortgage debt, yeah. rising new mortgages. That's you know the, 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 that's my credit based analysis of what causes uh, asset prices to rise, and it, it fits the data like a glove. So uh, if you if you have a, a central bank or, or building societies lending into housing, you don't get credit driven house price rises. So it would actually be a damn good thing to get away from banks issuing mortgages and have it done by credits, uh, credit unions or, under some circumstances, central banks. So uh, who's paying for all of this inflation? We sort of touched on this earlier, but here's some numbers to support it. So the Office of National Statistics back in October mm. looked at the uh, CPI, uh, inflation rate, by income deciles. So back then, CPI was 12.5% for the lowest 10% of disposable income, just 9% for the highest disposable income decile. So if you're well off and you've paid your mortgage, you won't be feeling the inflation effects Mm -hmm. as much. Uh, Whereas if you're really struggling, you haven't got a great deal of money, you are feeling it the most, which is somehow wrong, isn't it? Because it means not only is it wrong from a society's point of view, but it also Mm -hmm. means the people who have the more money to spend are feeling the impacts of inflation less, mm. so they will Definitely carry on spending, spending. Yeah. and so inflation will continue to to, yeah. to roll out of control. So that surely says then, rather than the blunt instrument of, uh, I mean, well, one approach is, as you say, to do nothing at all and let it sort itself out. Mm. If you feel like you've got to do something sooner, then the blunt instrument of uh, of using interest rates, which are not going to hit that well off one third, yeah, because they benefit to some extent. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so wouldn't tax be the way? Because if you tax, you can say, we are going to focus on the people who uh, are the most likely to change their behavior. Uh, I'll put a tax on yachts. Yeah, put a tax on or yachts. Submersible. Yeah, yeah, okay, no, okay. don't, don't Sorry, go pardon me. Okay, so, but the, uh, yeah, do we, because do, then we can target it. And also by taxing, obviously, you're pulling money out of the money supply as well. Yeah. So it has a double uh, double effect. Well, the money is kind of going to the wrong people and coming out of the wrong people. So that has to be something which is going to be corrected, but uh, it won't be. But it's one way out of it, isn't it? So then it starts to be, you know, rather well, you, than you, Jeremy Hunt, the UK Chancellor, who's there with his big smiling face, uh, looking as though uh, he hasn't had a hard day's work in his life, saying that he is going to halve the rate of inflation and everything will be fine, even though it's not working out very well for him. Perhaps because he's also saying, by the way, it's the job of the Bank of England, so if it doesn't come out, it's not my fault. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be a fiscal response. It could be the government saying, well, yeah, we are going to provide support where it's needed mm-hmm. for people who are struggling through this crisis, uh, if it is a crisis, and we are going to take the money away from those people on on higher incomes who are gliding through this whole thing 
completely unchallenged and not changing their behavior. Yeah, but and, it's very modifying tax rates is a very difficult thing to do when you're talking about uh, income tax and so on. And you know, it, it's easy for the rich to evade it. I'd, you know, I think you need to change the entire taxation system. Once you realize the taxes don't pay for government spending, then there's a reason to say, what are other ways to take money out of the system? And things like transaction taxes, uh, which are at much lower rates than income taxes, but, but there are many more transactions, they're more flexible than what we do with income tax. So I can't see it being done by the current system. There must be a way, though. There must be something you can pinpoint that you'll just tax. A, a waitress tax or uh, a cigar tax. A cigar tax, exactly. Yeah. Mm, mm. Or expensive suits. I'm not sure. Anyway. Mm. Uh, so there we are. I, so the answer is do nothing. Relatively, because this is not this is not demand. It was demand driven to the extent to which the fiscal stimulus meant uh, manufacturers thought they could make a larger markup. Okay, and that's diminishing because we haven't got the same scale of fiscal stimulus anymore. But you've got to get the markups down. And uh, this is you know I worked in decades ago on what was called the Prices and Incomes Accord in Australia, where the idea was to try to get agreement between manufacturers and workers over the distribution of income because largely inflation is driven by a struggle over the distribution of income. At the moment, it's not the workers who are winning. So what? You're saying you should say, well, okay, we, we should set Get them to agree to drop their markups. Yeah. Okay. But that isn't uh, that may well happen if you, if you if you suppress the economy by putting up rates and by cutting back on government stimulus and at some point manufacturers will feel that competitive pressure. They can't rush stuff out the door anymore, and they might consider dropping their markups. But it's a pretty painful way to go about it, and most of the burden falls on workers, not the manufacturers. Will those markups continue, though? I mean, if we start to see, for example, supply chains returning to normal, um, then um, there'll be more competition? Yeah, but at the same time, what is normal in the current circumstances? Mm. And uh, normal involving rising energy costs and diminishing mineral quality over time, that's going to be a permanent source of inflation. Yeah, and there are certainly some some behaviours and some, some structural changes which are going to take a long time to come back. So even you look at, for example, in supermarkets now, as prices go up, supermarkets have said, well, tell you what, uh, we'll have our own brand goods and we'll sell more of those and they'll be a lot cheaper than buying other branded goods. Mm. We'll get the same brands to make them for us. We'll put them mm. under our label though. So mm. we've got control over the supply chain. So the supermarket can maximise its profits. We get less choice as consumers, mm. less competition. Uh, and they've sort of cornered the market a bit in that way. And so those those behaviours will take a while to get back to full yeah, competition yeah. where suppliers are there and able mm. to say, well, no, we, we don't like your essential brands. They're too cheap. Uh, we're not going to supply to you unless you get rid of them. Uh, we're a long way off that happening. Uh, but that probably was the sort of environment we were in before the pandemic struck. Yep. Oh. So, gee, all right. Okay. So, but interest rates, no. No, no more. <laughs> <laughs> And if you look back historically, uh, statisticians used to use interest rates as the as an example of a stable parameter. Right. Well, a long way from that now, I aren't know. we? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. Okay. And yeah, and just on the final point, I mean, yes, going back to the, the last time we were seeing them at this level, it was driven by fears of cascading increases in wages. Yeah. Well, the and last we're being time sort of told- was right before the financial crisis. Which mm. the, the bankers, neoclassical economists, had no bloody idea was coming, and and they were putting up rates even after the crisis began. So never expect a neoclassical economist to have good sense of timing. Right. Well, we'll talk a bit about that next time. Okay. Good for that now. Uh, catch you next time. Thanks, Steve. Bye. The Debunking Economics Podcast.
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy The Y Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search The Y Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.